Today's Happy Healthy You podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash happy healthy you. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Hi everybody, welcome to Happy Healthy You podcast. I'm Connie Bowen. Today I'm so lucky and excited to have two authors with me. John J. Rady, MD, is a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He's the author or co-author of numerous best-selling and groundbreaking books, including Spark, Driven to Distraction, and A User's Guide to the Brain. Ooh, he lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Los Angeles, so he's a bi-coastal guy. That's exciting. Richard Manning is an award-winning journalist. He's the author of nine books, including Against the Grain and One Round River. And his work has appeared in The Best American Science and Nature Writing, 2010, Harper's, The New York Times, The Los Angeles Times, and so many other publications. And he lives in Helena, Montana. So that's where I want to move. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Hi. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about your hot off the presses new book called Go Wild. Woo! I love the title. And the subtitle is Free Your Body and Mind from the Afflictions of Civilization. So, John, why don't you tell us about the premise of this book? Because I think we are so much in alignment here. Uh, I have an intuition that everything is connected, body, mind, and spirit. And I think your book finally gives me the uh, scientific basis for it. So thank you for that. So, John, tell us why you guys decided to write this book. Well, it, it, it sort of grew out of our relationship, uh, which in, in part was uh, fostered by Spark, which really looks at how we should be moving all the time, you know, how we should be exercising, and looked at the hunter-gatherer lifestyle, and then uh, began to think, wow, we should pay attention to this, not just to be, quote, paleo, and and which is so popular and fetish these days but to really look at the science behind things like that that we address like diet sleep and uh nature small tribes and being mindful as well as exercise and diet so these are the the kinds of things that that we know that we're genetically made to deal with in a way that we're not dealing with right now. Yeah, and I love that you cover everything. I mean, you cover nutrition, diet, exercise, sleep. You, you pretty much say that when we get everything into alignment and harmony, our bodies are incredible healing machines. Correct, and, and we need to, to focus on that, that uh, issue of equilibrium and, and uh, to, to put it all together. It's not just do this and that will happen you know, it, it, it's everything we need to have. So we, we need to get it all together. Yeah, well, let's bring Richard in here. Hi, Richard from Montana. Well, hello, Connie. You must be the wild one, thus the title, well, living in Montana. Some people accuse me of that, yes. <laughs> Tell us why it is important to rewild ourselves and also our children, maybe even more importantly. Well, I... I, I got into this whole business by thinking about other organisms, biology and restoration or ecology and those kinds of things. And when people try to restore any other species or make it healthy, 
they, they think about evolutionary conditions and, and how it existed in the wild and how it came about, what it eats and how it lives and what it breathes. And those are the things we almost never think about in human health. But we're an organism. We're, 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 we're just like any other animal out there. And those issues are vitally important for us as well. Um, and because, and instead, we try to approach these things with the medical model that we think we can fix our bodies like they're machines, one thing at a time, one step at a time. But it becomes clear that all these things are connected in really vital ways. And without addressing our, the entire context of our existence, we really can't make us much better. So we need to pay attention to evolutionary rules just like any other species out there. Yeah, and you say that as, as we have technologically evolved, our bodies and our DNA hasn't actually kept up with what's, what's going on. Can you explain that a little bit or did I, did I get that right? <laughs> Yeah, human evolution is relatively slow. I mean, yeah. the clock ticks about once every 10,000 years or so, and a gene changes here and there. Um, meanwhile, we have billions of genes or millions of genes that are, that are governing us. So as a, as a percentage, what has changed in the last 50,000 years is, is really minor, you know, 1%, 2%. In that area, some people estimate as high as 8%. Nonetheless, um, uh, that's the condition of our existence, and that, those conditions were derived 50,000 years ago. So those are the things we need to pay attention to, the way we lived 50,000 years ago. One of the things I really enjoyed about your book is is all of the um, scientific studies and the case studies that you included that really back up all of this evidence. And maybe you could talk a little bit about how our medical model got to the place where it is um, today that is kind of uh, sort of putting, I don't know, putting us in jeopardy, really. Well, we could probably blame it all on, or I do, on antibiotics because they were the drug that hit the right bug to kill it. And we began to, to think, well, there's a drug for everything. There's a, there's a single cause for everything. And I think we'd like to control our lives like that. And this is what we do. And so we... we telescope it down to one thing or maybe two uh, to treat and forget about the fact that we have a, a whole lifestyle that has really led us to the incredible unhealthy lives that we're leading today and, and that we can really do something about it and, and change our lifestyles. But medicine really has been focused on uh, the, an exciting cause, one cause, one treatment, and uh, one diagnosis. And we know that we're uh, not Newtonian. Uh, it's not A plus B equals C. It's many, many different uh, variables that make up the whole. Right. In fact, I think you say in your book that the wild idea is to embrace complexity. Yeah, and our, the complexity of our systems, right? Yeah, no, and, and I think that's the, the whole idea of chaos theory is, is, you know, is come of age, but we need to bring that into medicine. Unfortunately, most people uh, today are, are fed by the media to say, look, just get this drug or just do this one diet or just take this one supplement or just do this one exercise, or, uh, you know, when all of that together 
is 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 for, forgotten really mm-hmm. that you need to do so many things to to live the best way that you can right more more of an integrative approach well richard let's talk nutrition um pretty much you guys say we've reached a point where sugar and refined carbs are just about killing us <laughs> and this is not the first time in history that we've seen uh, a lot of those problems that have, have arisen out of our sugar and re- refined carb addictions why don't you talk about that and gosh what we can do about yeah, it. Yeah, first I'm going to disagree with the statement just about killing us. They are killing us. It's, yeah. There's no just about it. We've got really good evidence about that, that that's the leading causes <laughs> of death and suffering in the world, yeah. uh, according to a new study from the Gates Foundation. And we think that the top 10 leading causes of death are linked to the way we eat. Sim- simple as that. Wow. Uh, and, and you're right. There's nothing new about that. Um, the evidence and, and the evidence goes back uh, 10,000 years to the very beginning of agriculture. Not quite that, 8,000, 6,000 in that area. And anytime scientists, um, paleoecologists have looked at the skeletal evidence of people from that period, they find that damage almost immediately with the beginnings of agriculture. That as soon as we began eating grain, we, we had things like uh, shorter stature, uh, a tooth decay, a number of other issues that showed up and, and, and are readable in the skeletal evidence that we were really weren't evolved to eat grain. And as a consequence, we started suffering almost immediately. And those problems have only gotten worse over time. Yeah, I mean, grain is such a huge part of our diet. I mean, how do we change that? And well, why, why isn't four, that in the media? Four, yeah, four, <laughs> four grains, wheat, rice, and I'm, I'm sorry, three, wheat, rice, and corn, are 78% of human nutrition now on the planet. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we change that whole paradigm and um, shift out of out of the grain frenzy? <laughs> yeah. a, a bit at a time, and, and, mm-hmm. and we want to talk that on the macro level. Can the planet do this? Does our agricultural system support that right. kind of change? No, not overnight. The transition is going to have to be somewhat slow. But in an individual life, it's relatively easy to do. I mean, people can do that tomorrow. They can simply stop eating grain. It's it's actually quite easy. Uh, the food's available, especially here in the United States, where we have access to a, a lot of high-quality food. We just don't take advantage of that access. And so it, it and as far as the difficulty of it, people say, well, I'm going to miss my muffin in the morning or the bagel or the cookie. I, you know, I used to have a Cookie Jones, for instance, and would eat chocolate chip cookies all day. Well, you find out as soon as you give that stuff up, it's really easy and you don't have a taste for it anymore, especially sugar. It goes away almost instantly and it becomes distasteful and you find yourself enjoying very simple uh, elemental foods like vegetables and fruits. And and the brain really uh, rewires when you start eating more whole foods, right? So that we cra- we actually kind of crave them. How does that work? Maybe one of you guys can talk about that. Yeah, no. The uh, I think what we do is we take away the the carb craving, which is really I mean well documented. It, it's harder to to give up uh, sugar cravings than it is uh, cocaine. Even yeah. you know we 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 become addicted to to our carbohydrates, and and we know that it gives us a little bit of a high, and it makes us feel momentarily a little better. And uh, so, but by avoiding them, you change the whole wiring system of the reward and the addiction centers, 
so that the, you know you, you get your carbohydrates from uh, more vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds, which are uh, excellent snacks that uh, uh, satisfy your craving for food in general, but also for these carbs once you have have done the the deed of of getting away from a steady diet of uh, crackers and and pasta and and all the other grains that 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 we and pizza specifically you know that we just love uh, yeah. and and have uh, are sold by huge industry you know uh, and from supersized meat to the new one fed up to uh, all the different movies and books, Wheat Belly and Grain Brain, all these uh, tomes and 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 movies out there saying, "Look, it's a it's a whole huge industry, bigger than the drug industry even uh, that dominates medicine. These these food producers dominate uh, our diets and yeah. and convince us this is what we need to be doing." Yeah, we really need to be much more mindful of this. Um, in your book, you have so many great case studies. Is there one that stands out of somebody who has really benefited from a dietary change or, or maybe a holistic change that stands out for you guys? Oh, Mary Beth, of course. I'll, I'll let John tell that story, but that was the, the one thing that kind of brought it all together for it. And the backstory on that is also interesting, but I'll let John tell that story because he's the one who discovered it. Okay. Yeah, no, this, this was, uh, we, we, had, we had already contracted to write the book, and I, I was up uh, in northern Michigan, actually, in, in, believe it or not, in Dick's hometown, which had, he hadn't been to in 30 years, probably. But, and I had no idea that John knew about my hometown, and that's where it came together. <laughs> cool. Very cool. And, uh, this, this uh, uh, our, my wife and I were d d having a, training session with the guy who had us play for an hour in his, in his playful gym, which was amazing. And then he started talking to us when he heard what I was, uh, you know, starting on, uh, started talking to us about his wife who had this, uh, who was an incredibly active uh, adolescent and college student. And all of a sudden she became sick. And uh, eight, through a period of eight years, she was bloated. She was uh, feeling horrible. She couldn't sleep. She uh, tried all kinds of different diets, went to all kinds of different doctors. Uh, no one, by the way, suggested a diet change. She did it on her own. It's amazing. Uh, and they gave her a multitude of diagnoses and multitude of medicines, but missed the fact that uh, a lot of her problems were from eating grains and gluten and, uh, you know, the big, the, the new uh, fat is the gluten-free stuff. Well, that, mm -hmm. that was important, but more importantly was also getting rid of the sugar for her, not just the gluten, but getting rid of all the grains, even if gluten-free grains from her diet. And she had a miraculous turnaround and is one of the more active, uh, uh, wonderful people that you could ever want to know. And uh, and this was sort of magical, and uh, so this led me to begin my uh, my changing my diet. Uh, being a physician uh, here in Boston, most of us 
uh, had been relatively uh, glucose uh, aware, low glucose diets, but this really threw me into, okay, I'm done with these, these the, the grains and potatoes and the wonderful breads before meals uh, in the restaurants and, and pizza and all that. And it, it really led to a change in the way I felt. Uh, I lost 10 pounds in a matter of six weeks uh, without feeling hungry at all. We uh, introduced eggs into my life. Uh, and, uh, you know, because I'd been fat phobic like most of us right. have been, had been to be. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, was satisfied without having to to really uh, feel that I was losing something. And uh, my energy levels went up and uh, it's remained my set point for my weight is 10 pounds less than it was when, before I started. Yeah, and you really talk about that in detail in the book. And I, I really appreciate that. And the whole role of fat that is, you know, I don't know. when. And I think you guys talk about that, how fat how fat got such a bad rap for a while. <laughs> and now, you know, we should be eating more fat in nuts and what else? What are the ways that we can eat fat? Give us permission. Go ahead, Dick. You, you're, you're... <laughs> oh, eggs are great for it. Uh, most of the animal fats are quite good, but especially if you can get grass-fed beef um, or free-range chickens because they're higher in omega-3 fats, which we find out are incredibly vital for our brains. And, and brain support. Uh, so much of that is, is, is linked to the brain and, and it's, it's, it's really important. What we need to avoid are trans fats, the artificial fats, the kind of franken fats that were invented you know, with corn oil and those kinds of things that are used in industrial foods. But um, if, if we look at fats, I mean, the combination of olive oil and I think uh, pork fat is, is very close to the fat composition in the human cell. And those are the kinds of things that we build our body on. Interesting. Well, since we're talking about our brains, let's talk about the connection between our big brain and our unique ability as complex movers, how movement can make us smarter. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's something that I've been traveling around the world talking about uh, since my other book, Spark. But more importantly, I mean, it it, it is uh, the road to health. The, uh, the president of the, the head of this Center for Disease Control said if there was one thing that he could say helps every disease that they study, it's exercise, uh, it's, it's, it's movement, it's play, it's, it's getting out there, it's doing something regularly, not just on occasion, but regularly to help lower blood pressure, to help lower our, our glucose content in our body to, to regulate uh, many of our systems, to improve our inflammation system, to keep us from getting too inflamed, but inflamed enough when we need it, and to make our brains uh, work optimally. And uh, we know that uh, exercise is a good way to treat depression, for instance, if you mm, so are good. depressed and prevent it if you have a tendency for depression, as well as anxiety, and uh, all the work that I've done on attention deficit disorder uh, stems from learning about the powers of exercise really early in my career, 
when people that couldn't, that had to stop running and training for the marathon here in Boston came to me with uh, what they called adult onset attention deficit disorder after they couldn't do their eight miles a day yeah. uh, because of an injury. And uh, so that led to uh, a long love affair with the, the powers of exercise as medicine. Mm. And uh, not only does it help uh, regulate our emotional life, but it, we know that this is the one way that we can uh, prevent the onset of uh, cognitive decline uh, and aging and Alzheimer's disease. Uh, it, it's not lockstep, but, you know, it, it really works. Uh, the Mayo Clinics last year reviewed over 1,600 papers uh, in the science literature looking at exercise and its effect on cognition, on our ability to think and learn and remember. And uh, most all of them showed a positive effect uh, on our cognitive capacity. And we know this in children. We know this in the schools. Uh, it's so hard to, to change uh, the momentum of where the schools have been going. And that's one of the things that I'm uh, crusading about around the world. Yeah. Uh, that we need to get our kids moving again yeah. because they'll get higher test scores. Yes, absolutely. They need to go wild. They need to be allowed to go wild again. <laughs> I think we we haven't let them for a while. Are you guys both runners? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a runner, but I, I also do a lot of stuff in the gym. Mm -hmm. uh, and I used to play squash until I threw my shoulder, lost my uh, you know, my, my right shoulder and, uh, it, it finished that, but, uh, but I do, uh, uh, spinning and, and yoga and things that, uh, that supplement, uh, my running. I'm a mountain runner. Um, and, and I'm lucky enough to live in Montana and the trailhead is about four blocks from my house and I can get about 1500 feet of elevation gain in the first mile. So it, that puts me in the mountains almost every day. So I don't need gyms. I'm a very lucky guy. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm moving to Montana. I'm a believer in that kind of running because mm -hmm. of the variability in it. And as opposed to running on roads, and I don't run on roads anymore. I won't run on anything flat. Um, I run in the mountains because they're uphill, downhill, rest, walk, all these, these various things that go on. And I think that duplicates um, what went on in our evolutionary history. But it also does things like get me among elk. So I can, I can be up running and all of a sudden I'll bump into a herd of elk or a couple of mule deer or something like that. And that really enhances the whole experience and also, I think, enhances the brain experience at the same time. Yeah, I, you talk about that in the book about trail running, and it just inspired me to go out and run some trails. But now I want to move to Montana and run some trails. So I just did a half marathon, and my brother and I ran it together. And he showed up at my house to pick me up, and he had a bag of those gels. Those okay. uh, I know, and you guys are not big fans of those. Talk a yeah. little bit about that just briefly. Yeah. Well, I had personal experience with those because as I was gearing up to do my first marathon, this was only three years ago, I'd never really done a marathon. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did the, the, the advice, which was to eat those gels. And I'm normally a low carb guy and had been for a long time. But I said, okay, here, the, the runner people are saying you got to eat those or you'll hit the wall. Terrible right. things will happen to you. And 
they in fact did happen to me and they happened as, as I was eating those gels. And so I did further research on it and I said, look, you know, uh, Maasai people or the, the hunter gatherers who ran typically 20 miles a day didn't have those gels. So what were they doing? And the answer was nothing that because they were so low carb, they were ketogenic, they really didn't need that, that sugar buzz to keep them going. And that's what that causes you to hit the wall. So I then started running long races. My first one was 30 miles in the mountains without anything at all, no gels whatsoever. And I was a much happier guy. I never hit the wall again. And I, I continue to run that way to this day without sugar gels or any food whatsoever when I'm running. Hmm, that's interesting. I tried them because we had so many of them. And I just found that I like as I was running, my hands were sticky. And I don't know, I didn't feel that great at the end of the race, frankly, I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But yeah, uh, it did. Okay, thank <laughs> you. Did. You guys are so good. I'm just going to go wild with this interview and let you sure. you you guys decide who wants to answer this question. You talk about empathy as our defining trait as a species and saying, you say that it powers all that we do from running to sleeping, really. So um, talk about that a little bit. Well, I think, I think we, uh, we know as humans, we have this empathic connection mm -hmm. uh, with other mammals, with other parts of life, uh, with each other. And this uh, leads to a lot of good hormones that uh, help us uh, and help the brain, help, help the body, help our uh, inflammation response, help our stress response, that uh, connection is really, we refer to it once as vitamin C, mm. uh, because it is really uh, the this, this stuff of life. And uh, uh, we interviewed the leading light, uh, Sue Carter, who uh, has focused her whole career around oxytocin, which is the love and bonding hormone, which we know so much about now as, uh, as, as a hormone that, that helps us feel connected to one another. And this leads to a very powerful health promoting kind of uh, uh, act, action in all of our systems, in our bodies and in our brains. Um, and th so we know that this is something that we have a lot of, and is very important for us, and and uh, as well as just the support, the the general feel, the touching uh, that that leads to so many good things, and 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 our, our sense of well-being, which is really the the point of the book, is to improve our sense of our who we are, our well-being, happiness, all those things that today are. Uh, people are beginning to talk a lot about. Yeah, yeah, we're really holistic systems, aren't we? we talk about how people with pets get better sleep. <laughs> I like that. So how does that work? Dick? Dick? Yeah, well, the sleep issue is a fascinating one. And yeah. we, we went into that not knowing a whole lot about it and found some fascinating researchers that have actually looked at the anthropology of sleep. And, and, and none of it makes sense until you understand how we evolved. Again, we have to talk about evolution. And, and a lot of people don't consider this, but I think the sophisticated evolutionary biologists think about predators. 
the fact that we were pieces of meat for a very long time in our in our evolutionary history and that we had to worry about things like lions in the night and in fact if you look at the the skeletal evidence lions were a relatively small problem compared compared to things like short-faced bears or giant leopards that ate people and so with those conditions um we we depended on each other to be able to sleep we depended on some people to be awake, some people to be asleep, sentries, that kind of thing to go to sleep. And those, those signals are still with us. And so one of the things that goes on is if there's a dog snoring next to your bed, that means there are no lions in the area because the dog would know the lion were there. And so therefore you, you, you get that subtle signal in your brain that it's okay, it's safe to sleep deeply. And that's what you do. And, and so, the complete absence of noise is actually a bad thing for your sleep because you're looking for those signals and you're mm -hmm. looking for them from other people's peaceful breathing, breathing, conversation, things like a gentle fire burning as opposed to a fire burning out of control. Those kinds of things that we evolved with over time are still there and we still need those signals to sleep well. Hmm. Interesting. That's why I sleep well when, when I'm, when there's the TV's on or people are making noise. Ah, interesting. That's, that's probably it, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think in my travels all over, uh, one of the things that is very clear to me is that the world is sleep deprived. Yeah. We are so glued to our machines. Totally. Uh, the internet, we're so overconnected uh, to TV, to uh, video games, to whatever that uh, we are sleeping less, our children even more so than we, uh, because they get addicted and stay addicted and are texting and Facebooking and tweeting and listening to music uh, throughout the, the, the times when they would have been asleep. And, and I do think that this is one of the major problems in the world. And uh, one of the sleep researchers that we talked to said, well, if we'd sleep, you wouldn't be so fat, stupid, and lazy. Uh, and I think that really hits it. He was being tongue-in-cheek there sure. and, and, and provocative. But it's really true that uh, one way to really lose weight is to sleep the uh, uh, eight-plus eight hours that we really need to be sleeping, um, as well as it, it, it helps our brain work the best. Uh, we're not quite sure how that happens, but we know from studies that it does. And uh, we're all together a much more reasonable person uh, mm. and someone that uh, people might like. <laughs> someone uh, that people might like. Which our connectability. Right. It all works together and there is nothing like a good night's sleep. Oh, it's so awesome. I only get maybe one or two a week, but you know. You say in the book that the way we live today pretty much undermines the qualities that make us human. Hmm. That's pretty strong. Yeah. yeah, and that goes back to the empathy question. One yeah. of the reasons that we, in the end, found ourselves so interested in empathy is because it's one of the hardest things the brain does. And we started paying attention to those, those traits, those activities that light up the entire brain and are demanding, really demanding of our brains, and those are really important activities, those in turn need support. 
and they need complex support. So we, for instance, talked to a, a researcher on autism that talked about the lack of mic micronutrients in your brain, things like vitamin B, that in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases of autism, cause that problem. Just that one small thing, remove that piece of the network. But those really complex responses have to have that overall support. You have to do everything right, get your life right on all fronts to make it work. And empathy is one of those things. Empathy is, is highly dependent on everything being right. Then our brain works right, and then we get along with each other in the end. Mm -hmm. That tells us that it's really important, but it also tells us that exactly what you said, the quote from there, that the way we live today undermines our ability to empathize with each other, which is the foundation of our humanity. Mm. So if there was a prescription you could give us to kind of get back to a place where we can start being more harmonious in body, mind, and spirit, um, what would you suggest? I mean, does it have to be like a big policy change or an, is there an individual thing that you could suggest that... that... Well, we, get, we give an example in the book of a, of mm -hmm. a president of a college who... Uh, was finding that she was gaining weight, that she wasn't following our exercise routine since she was now the president and going to all these presidential lunches and dinners. And uh, she called it the, the presidential 50, not the uh, freshman 30. Oh, uh, gosh. Uh, so, uh, but what she did is she said, well, there's so many different things that I need to do right, but started out with sleep started turning off her email at 10 p.m. at night and got her seven and a half to eight hours of sleep, which led her to then begin to be able to feel energetic enough to exercise in the morning, which then led to a much more reasonable diet uh, and, 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 and made her much more connected and present. And one of the things that one of the other chapters that I think really is, is, is crucial uh, in our lives is that of being mindful. And that's one thing that she emphasized, that she was much more present in the moment, uh, which sleep brings, with exercise brings, with the general fitness brings, uh, that we're more mindful of what we're doing. Uh, so much of our lives are lived mindlessly. Mm. And when studies show that when we are mindful, when we are present, when we are the agent in the moment, that we're much more appealing to people. We're better salesmen. We're better leaders. We're better parents. We're better children. We're better everything uh, because we're not thinking over there or uh, preoccupied with some BS uh, or the what's next, you know, being, being present is, is so important and meditation is one way to help us with that, but just the general idea that uh, to take advantage of our moments of life uh, is really, I think, a, a real key that we need to get back to. Mm. You guys meditators? I am, yes. 
and and I uh, I certainly do with yoga and, and when I'm running, you know, you get into that meditative state. Me too. I love a good run. Sometimes I get the best inspirations when I'm running. Okay, well, I'm inspired to go wild. And I think what I've gotten from this is I need to eat less grains and sugar, get out in nature, move to Montana, exercise, reach out and touch someone and just try to get back to maybe a simpler way of living. Yeah, yeah, you're on your way. There's no doubt about it. And it's not it's not much harder than that. Well, you guys give so many great and detailed ideas in this book and so many um, scientific explanations for everything. It's such a great book. I would recommend Go Wild to anyone. Where can we find the book and when will it be available? It's coming out next Tuesday and uh, Barnes & Noble will have it. Costco uh, will have it. Uh, uh, and and uh, and books a million and all the other places that uh, carry books. They're they're printing a uh, uh, hundred thousand copies to uh, get out there. So it hopefully will be flooded enough so that people will be able to get get a copy and uh, and and look into ways that they can change their lives. Oh, it's so informative. And so for more information about each of you, maybe you want to give your websites? Yeah, mine uh, is johnrady.com. Uh, I also am on Facebook. Uh, on occasion, I'll put something on uh, there of an interesting article, an interesting occurrence on uh, under the Rady Institute, okay. and I welcome people to friend me, I guess. Uh, we're slowly <laughs> like learning. Like you, like you, and friend you, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a, a powerful way to connect with people uh, in, in our very connected but disconnected world. In moderation, right? right? Yes, yes. And how about you, Richard? I have a website. It's richardmanning.org. I am not on Facebook or Twitter or all those other things because I'm trying to wean myself from that kind of dependency, but we'll see how that experiment works Who too. Who has time for that? You have so many mountains to climb and trails to run and well, antelopes to uh, to hang out with. So, yeah. um, Well, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed this book and I will keep it. I, I still need to reread some parts because um, I'm, I'm more of a right brain kind of girl and you guys brought the left brain stuff that I needed for, for my own information. So thank you for that. And um, good luck with the book. I'm sure it's going to be much. wildly, wildly popular. How do you like that? Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Good. All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.